Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The sound of endurance racing around the world. RadioLeMans.com. Welcome along to a very, very windy Paul Ricard, close to the public, but you're here courtesy of RadioLeMans.com. I'm going to have to step out of that wind and into the gap between a Toyota truck and uh, an Alpine truck. Uh, two days of FIA, it's still too windy that way, of FIA WEC testing. Friday uh, is a closed session. Saturday we're expecting somewhere in the region of 10,000 people. Uh, to watch the testing. Now, I remember here last year when I was talking to a number of people, the PA system was very loud. Thank goodness it's not quite as loud today. Before we get into the garages and start talking to the principals about Friday, Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, has braved the conditions. 14.5 degrees Celsius sounds absolutely perfect, but this wind is bonkers, Graham, and yet we've already seen some special times this morning notably by Porsche in terms of their track time uh, their lap time rather and Toyota in terms of their top speed well in fact now Porsche in terms of their top speed as well 338 kilometers an hour I've just spotted as the uh, the outright fastest uh, speed on the Mistral straight by the number 18 Porsche that's Mark lead this morning and yes John the uh, fastest lap of the session so far. Now, let's make it clear, cars haven't been scrutineered. We don't know what trim they're running. We don't know what uh, what, uh, what what kind of um, uh, configuration they're running. But a 139.2, that compares somewhat favourably with a 141.1 uh, with a full 900 horsepower, uh, full fat uh, Peugeot 908 some years ago. So... On skinnier tyres, using probably somewhere between 40 and 50% less fuel. Yep, absolutely. So, okay, what does it mean? doesn't mean anything in terms of the record books of course it doesn't but that is something with statements and that at that time was something like two seconds quicker than the best that either Toyota or Audi could pull out and just so we know that that was something kind of uh, probably more reasonably close to the kind of pace we had the top uh, Audi Toyota and I think the second Porsche all within five thousandths of a second of each other uh, but two seconds back from that that early lap from Mark Lieb we've just seen one of the Toyotas going into the 139s as well now we've got something like an hour left of this uh, first session on track but these cars this year are going to be extraordinary well let's take a walk over here see if we can find somewhere that's slightly less windy I'm kind of hoping that if we get close to the pit lane there we go it's sort of getting no no it's not let's uh, see if we can that doubt will be allowed into the back of Porsche so we'll work, walk a bit f- further along as you can hear the wind is howling around at the moment it's, it's nearly enough to take you off your feet let's just be absolutely clear about this uh, not what we were expecting at all the Mistral living up to its name as a, a straight and indeed as a wind at the moment now if we just tunker down in behind this pit here we might have a little bit of a better opportunity there we go as you can hear it's not stopping people from being out on the circuit before we get into talking to the guys here today quite a lot of stuff Graham going on yesterday with new car launches um, the biggest talking point, I suppose, we'll start with is Porsche. Sort of trailed the fact that they would be running in the 8 megajoule class. That now confirmed. Three different liveries, sadly only Fulham on, but a very, very highly revised car for 2015. And I've got to say, even before the cars went out this morning, they looked bullish. They most certainly did. So we're going to be left, if things go the way we expect them to be, we're going to have four factory teams at Le Mans, all running in different megajoule categories, with eight for Porsche, six confirmed yesterday as well for the new Toyota, uh, four for Audi, we found that out last week finally, and two, we believe, for the Nissans when we see them at Le Mans. So, yeah, Porsche... um, huge amount of work has been going on in the off-season to uh, to update the package. Very quietly, in very fairness. They haven't been shouting no. about this. A lot of, lot of miles under the wheels of those test cars. 
but the, I think the extraordinary kind of feat there is it's about weight management. If you're going to get to the 8 megajoule category, it's about how do you store that energy? What do you do with that energy? Uh, and it's going to be about weight, cooling, aero, and at the moment, on the basis of what we've seen this morning so far, they seem to have got at least some of their sums right. Uh, Toyota taking a very much more conservative uh, approach to it. The best news of all, though, from Toyota is nothing to do with this year. It's commitment to the WBC for three years, including this year. In and that's an extension. Let's make that clear. It absolutely is an extension to what we expected. There's been a lot of uh, rumour-mongering about WRC and the, the impact that that might have. Not at all. Well, in fact, more than that, the WRC question was directly addressed. And indeed, WRC was referred to by, to me privately as being the number two programme for Toyota Motorsport. But the two other significant parts of the story are a, a, a sea change in the attitude towards motorsport from Toyota Motorsport Motor Corporation in Japan, placing motorsport now at the core of their road car R&D. The second part is... We're not now having counted out a third car for subsequent seasons two and three in this current commitment. No confirmation, nothing close to it, but they've not counted out an expansion of this programme. It's interesting how Toyota have gone about this, Toyota Motorsport down in Cologne, because they always said that they were getting an amount of money from the uh, streetcar, the road car R&D side of things, and that was where they were trying to push on. It would appear then they've made their case to the main board. Uh, they would appear they've done so and done so successfully and I think uh, actually coming home with a world championship would have been a nice thing to do you can just imagine it can't you as the guys walked into the boardroom and put a really great trophy on the table and said <laughs> that's what you get for the R&D I remember we had at Fuji last year a lot of the overall board members were at that race I strongly suspect that when discussions and decisions were made actually quietly there seeing what they could see from what an extraordinary effort it's been from Toyota I mean look, we talk a lot about Audi and sports car racing Correctly so, the, 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 the record they've had over the last decade and a half has been extraordinary, almost unparalleled. What must it be to come and challenge that juggernaut? They've done it, they didn't quite do it at Le Mans this, uh, last year, but they did it and took the World Championship from Audi, and that is an extraordinary achievement. They, they're now going to have their uh, work cut out this year with a rejuvenated Audi effort and that extraordinary Porsche uh, programme that we can now see emerging. John, this has got all the signs of being... We talk about golden eras. Let's put golden eras to one side. This is going to be an amazing year of sports car racing. Um, away from the factory teams in prototypes, uh, Stracker are here, the car is here, and the guys are smiling. They are, indeed. I bumped into Johnny Kane last night. He reminded me the last time he actually raced was a Petit Le Mans in 2013. And, uh, you know, that's not unusual for the Stracker guys. They are all delighted to be uh, to be back. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know, guys kind of putting on their new pit gear, grinning as they did it. And uh, they're finding out more about what, uh, what their new kind of package is. not that new, of course, but uh, the new package in race trim is going to do. I think we're going to see great things from that car. But the whole of the LMP2 grid here, 10 cars here this weekend. We're standing amongst the packing boxes for ESM that have arrived from the United States. So an extraordinary effort from them to bring their two, uh, well, stand-in Hondas uh, here uh, after the woes of the new car. But the whole of the grid not only looks for taking a step forward in terms of numbers, but the look of it, John. I mean, the deliveries, the fans are going to love it. You know, it's, it, it has taken not just a step forward, it's taken a leap forward this year. LMP2 is going to be big news to the WBC in 2015. And in the GT categories as well, a couple of little surprises here. Well, you know, I think you know less, less progress in terms of numbers and in terms of quality, but that's only because in the factory, uh, uh, the factory ranks, they were pretty high quality anyway. Uh, we've not got all the cars here. Aston Martin chose to fill three out of their five for the prologue test. Bad. As is their want. Uh, and neither have we got all the factory drivers here this weekend. But that's looking good. Uh, with Porsche, a tweak to the livery of that car is, I think, about as much as we've seen, but they're going to be right there. And then we've got the Ferraris with SP Racing branding on the side, which is a bit of a surprise. We've not yet caught up with the Mazda Ferrari to find out what the arrangement is there, but it would appear to be a kind of marketing hookup and maybe a bit of a statement of intent in terms of some of the shenanigans that are going on sanctions wise for Boris Rotenberg's company. The one car that isn't here, or the one team that isn't here that we would have liked to have seen, of course, is Rebellion. 
Absolutely. Cars aren't far away, though. No, well, the cars aren't actually, as far as I'm aware, at uh, Oracle. I was there just the other day. Uh, but uh, the, what the, what's going on at uh, Orica at the moment is all the work for the engine installation of the AER. Very late decision by the team. That's had knock-on effect in terms of the ability to start the season. So we will only see one privateer P1 car for the first two races of the season now. The uh, the Baikolis CLM in a very, very neat, tidy, pearlescent white livery. We won't see the Rebellion AERs until Le Mans now. We do know more about the programme. We know who's going to be driving the cars. Uh, it's going to be good to see them back. And it's going to be good to see them, oddly enough, John, have something to chase because they for sure will be chasing down um, for the first time in uh, WC history a, uh, a team that's going to be ahead of in the point standings. That's going to be great to see. Uh, that's Graham Goodwin at dailysportscar.com. I'll let him get out of the wind and the cold. I'm going to go down into some of these garages we're standing at the back of and chase down a few of the personalities. And my goodness, we've got plenty of those here uh, this week. Uh, I'm John Hindorf, and this is our WEC Prologue special on RadioLamont.com. Well, we've uh, nipped down through the ESM pit where work goes on apace on their two beautiful black and fluorescent green open-topped prototypes. And uh, Rob Hill is with us now, uh, overlooking what was meant to be a very different scene. But you guys have just done a great job up to and since Sebring. Hell of a lot of hard work, though. Yeah, it's been uh, a lot of work getting to where we are. Uh, Like you say, we weren't uh, really planning to be looking down on this scene, but... uh you know, the way things panned out, I mean, we put a lot of effort into uh, what was going to be our new cars and uh, it just didn't work out with the car and uh, we just decided we had to go on a different route. Uh, we'll keep working with uh, HPD and Worth to develop that car, but uh, in the time being, uh, we've made the decision and we're going to run these for here in Silverstone and uh, post Silverstone, we're going to get two new uh, Liges and hopefully take those to Spa and it'll be a different scene there yet too. So. <laughs> get used to it, get used to change. Is it true then that these cars came back from Shanghai where I saw them racing the WEC at the back end of last season and basically other than being unpacked from the, the crate, if you will, from the transport, there was very little done to them before you dusted them off to take them to Seabrook? Um, well, what we ended up doing is we kept one car basically as it finished the race because we wanted to, in case we had a customer that wanted to purchase them, um, had at least one ready to go. We took one of the engines out, so it was a car sitting there with a dummy engine in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we left all the ancillary comp- uh, components on there, so that should someone come in to take them away from us, or and eventually we had to use them ourselves, there wouldn't be that much to turn them back. Uh, so when we took the one car out to just go run it to see, uh, there's probably about less than a day's worth of work to get it on track, and um, to get the second car out there, obviously we had to install an engine and some other mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but we did. We tried to keep them complete, uh, just so we wouldn't be in such a dilemma should something happen. Just as well, just as well. Fantastic outing at Sebring. Okay, not the result that you would have wanted, but in terms of the speed of the car, the relatively speaking, in terms of, of you know how much running you've done with them, the relative reliability, that must give you great heart coming here to Paul Ricard and potentially moving on to Silverstone because this still has a bit of life in it. This old lady. Yeah, she's a good little girl. She is. Uh, she's. Uh, I mean, it's just it's a tried and true car. We know it pretty much in and out. Um, it's you know the reliability aspects there, driver comforts there. Um, the drivers know what they've got to deal with. Uh, all the tools in the toolbox, um, and she's still quick. Um, she's not quite as quick as the coupes, um, which is you know why we were switching to coupes and why we're still going to go switch to coupes. But uh, no, she's a, she's she's got a little life in her still. You guys don't race here, so you're not gathering data for here. What's what's going on? What are you trying to achieve this Friday and Saturday at the WEC Prologue? Well, for the Prologue, um, we have to run here a minimum of 50 laps with each car to qualify to get three engines for the season. If we didn't show up here to do this, we'd get two engines for the season. And if we took a third, we'd run to a five-minute penalty at said event when we did change engines. So it was in our best interest to be here and obviously to support the WEC because that's a great sanctioning body and they put on a fantastic show. Love being around these guys. Um, it was a lot of hard work getting here. Initially, I wasn't going to just bring one car, but with the ruling where you've got to do the 50 laps minimum per car, that's what we're here. We're doing it. I've only got two drivers here. Um, didn't see the reason to bring everyone over to just do a little bit of running because we're not going to race here. And um, 
Our baseline is, you know, we're learning the Dunlop tyres because they've got a new tyre this year. So we'll get some information from that and hopefully that'll carry through into Silverstone. Can you learn anything about Silverstone from here? It, it, on the outside, doesn't look like a similar track. You've got the very long straight. But it's a quick track here, and it's a relatively smooth track. I mean, it's, it's a lot different than the American tracks where we were used to. So, um, you know, we don't get more different from Savory. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, you know, for our, for our information, for a database, you know, we've got Coda and um, Shanghai to go back on, you know, running these cars with the Dunlop tyres. So I think any outing we can go and we can learn something, uh, it's going to benefit us down the road. Is there any data that you can get access to from even slightly previous iterations of these cars running at Silverstone because other teams would have run something similar in the past? Uh, there's some stuff, but, I mean, it's just more for uh, internal inside the team to get to get a grip on things. You know, and this is really our sort of first real foray into this as doing it as a full-time adventure, you know, Coda wasn't too bad and Shanghai was it was a learning experience but this is you know a step beyond that so it's for everyone it's for the engineers for the mechanics for the drivers for all of us to get our hands around the operations of WEC and the tracks because I mean a lot of these tracks are similar they're smooth they're fast um, just totally different than what we used to in the states and with the new Dunlop tires anything we can learn here you know will carry forward. You mentioned, obviously, moving to the Coupe, the Ligier Coupe, with the uh, HPT engine on it uh, coming up shortly. Um, how much effort do you put into looking forward to that? How much effort do you put in getting this car ready for Silverstone? Because it's a season, it's a championship, and you're not giving up on that championship. I know from talking to both Ed and, and Scott that you, you guys are having a real tilt at the championship. I mean, that's why we're here. We're competitors. We're all competitors inside this garage and inside the paddock here. Um, we want to put the best product on track for our drivers and sponsors, and we want to prove that we are hopefully a world contender. Um, I believe our package that we even here going forward into Silverstone should be competitive. Um, I think once we get the coupes, um, the on-road guys have been fantastic dealing with us, um, and we're really looking forward to running their car. Um, it's... Uh, we, we're all competitors, and we want, to, we want to beat them on the track and off the track, so it's good. As I said in the IMSA radio commentary at Sebring, it's not like you nip down to your local dealer and pick two cars off a lot when you decide to have two different <laughs> racing cars. So making this decision clearly wasn't made lightly. Moving over to the Ligiers, clearly a decision that wasn't made lightly. How much of those guys had to scramble, and how much of a if you like, is it another risk for you guys saying, right before Le Mans, we're going to go to, effectively, a third different chassis that, that we've been working with this season? Well, I mean, we had to look at the, weigh all the options. Um, we wanted to be in coupes, um, just that they're generally faster and safer, in my mind and everyone's mind. Um, so what, what are our options out there? You know, the new Orica, it's a new car, it's unproven, it's going to be good for sure. Mm-hmm. But so was the worth of it to be that way. Mm-hmm. And we've already been in the frying pan. We didn't want to jump into the fire. <laughs> With the Ligier, I mean, it's a proven car. Um, they said they could actually get two cars together for for Spa. Um, that was no part of the deciding factor, too, because we had to have two for Spa. Mm. So There was no thought that you would carry these cars that we're seeing here uh, this weekend through to Spa and then make the change for the Le Mans test and Le Mans itself? No, because we really wanted to put a race under the belt with a new car before we went to Le Mans, just so we get the ins and outs, we know what we're dealing with. There's nothing like proving it in race situation, is there? You can go and test it for a day at Le Mans, which is invaluable, clearly, but even just putting the guys through pit stops and things like that in a race situation with a different motor vehicle, that, that is a learning experience from top to bottom. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can, you can test... 500 days it's still not a race weekend <laughs> so we want to you know we want to do everything right when we'll be above board and um we'd rather learn sooner than later if we have any issues mm. so the sooner we can do it the better we are and how's it going at the moment early days here on friday morning um the cars look fantastic they've both fired up they've both been out in the truck um yeah i mean we're, we're going through the motions and just uh you know, we, we've got to do this this morning and then we've got a photo shoot around lunchtime mm-hmm. and then we'll regroup and see where we're at um and plan the rest of the days accordingly. Cheeky question, but I'll ask it anyway because you know I'm cheeky. What's a good result for you and these two cars at Silverstone? Can you get in the points? Can you be at the sharp end of the field? 
I'd like to think we can. Um, that's what we're aiming to do. That's why we're going there. Uh, can you pull off a shock? Because you nearly did at Sebring. We're going to see. Quiet confidence here at ASM. I mean, it's, we know this car, we know the drivers, we know the team. We know we've got the ability to do it. Um, if all the cars fall to, in place for us, yes, we can definitely uh, get the result we're really wanting. Um, other than that, we want a good showing, um, putting our best foot forward and trying to capitalise on what we've done. Let's say you win at Silverstone. Does that change your plans going forward? Or is it still definitely going to be the KPS for Spa? It would be a nice dilemma to have. Well, there's a few days between now and then, so we'll have to see what happens. <laughs> Thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Brilliant effort so far, and you know the fans are really behind you on this. Everybody's asking, what's happening at ASM? What's happening at ASM? I hope you're feeling that as well. Yeah, it's been great. It's the following and the, the input from everyone, uh, just wishing us all the best and make, wanting us to make them look proud. Uh, I mean, it's been huge. Um, and we really, really appreciate all the support from all the fans and uh, other competitors that are following us in this adventure. Cheers, mate. Have a good one. Enjoy. Thanks. Okay, so we're going to get out of the way. Lots of data going on uh, here as well. We'll slip out the back where it's a little bit more uh, windy and head on down. Uh, you're listening. Good news, I think, from uh, ASM, if I'm honest. So, oh dear, it's windy again out here. Let's head on down the pit lane. You're listening to our WEC Prologue special. It's Friday, and the cars are out on the track. This is RadioLamont.com. RadioLamont.com. Well, we've walked on down now to the Aston Martin garages and uh, John Gore, the MD of Aston Martin Racing, has, uh, has joined us here. Welcome to the south of France. Just uh, flown in this Friday morning, which in this wind, I'm sure, was quite entertaining. Uh, I'll just let, that, uh, just let that prototype go through. Um, how much can you get out of a, an event like this, John, in terms of yourselves and your, and your customers and the cars and the drivers? I think it's quite beneficial that it's blowy, actually, um, because one of the big things that this circuit's good for is the long straight, which is good for testing for Le Mans, so a um, few different aero configurations um, developed over the, uh, the winter, um, some different ideas to test and a good selection of drivers to do it in, so yeah, quite useful from that perspective, and actually the higher the wind, the better. The focus on FIA World Endurance Championship is as sharp as ever as far as Aston Martin's concerned with a, a renewed commitment to multiple car entries there has to be a business element to that so it must be a good time to be doing this type of racing Yeah, I mean I think for sure sports cars is as good as it's ever been mm. um, and certainly for Aston Martin it's you know been this will be the third year of a GT programme now um, and hopefully will be the strongest year. It's certainly, there's a lot of consistency in the team. And there's a lot of experience in the team, um, and we put together quite a good, you're right, commercial package over the winter. Um, that's important for us, um, but also with a really strong driver lineup, a good mix of um, experience from all the last two or three years, and some exciting new guys. You know, we're just sitting talking with um, Marco Sorensen just now, and trying to figure out why Richie went a little bit quicker than him in the GP2 test in um, <laughs> Abu Dhabi and you know there's going to be a bit of needle there across the season I'm sure um, Nicky obviously is um, super fast we saw that at the end of last year um, and the other drivers who've been with us a while have you know they've just got another year's experience so there's going to be a real inter-team fight um, and it's good to see rolled back again you know one of our big customers important customers for us and a great guy to have on the team um, and with Francesco and Stuart I'm sure they'll have a great time on the track and off the track uh, yes <laughs> yes indeed um how important for, for Aston Martin as a manufacturer, and I appreciate you're from the racing side, but the links between Aston Martin Racing and Aston Martin Lagonda, the car company, never been stronger than they are now. How important do you feel it is to race the cars that are being sold and to continue to race at the very highest level in the FIA World Endurance Championship? Yeah, I mean, you've just said it in a nutshell, it's a world championship. Um, and that's really important, really important for Aston. In fact, we're just back from you know a board meeting at Aston a couple of weeks ago where you know obviously Andy was there the head of design was there that's Andy Palmer who's just joined Aston Martin recently yeah and design marketing commercial finance and everyone's well bought into the program 
Um, and obviously Nürburgring is important as well for Aston so you know that is where our works focus is this year mm-hmm. um, and um, you know for sure a world championship is critical um, and it's a big prize for the manufacturer um, and that's where you can win this prize and that's why this championship is important for Aston Whilst we're standing looking at the GTE cars just off to my left there just being fettled after the lunch break here on on Friday, you've mentioned the Nurburgring and one of the, I suppose, the development areas of Aston Martin racing in the last five or six years has been the diversification into GT3, GT4, now all on the same vantage platform, of course, and you guys moved, moved to that a few years ago. That gives you an enormous representation at all levels of of the GT platform, if you like, John, and that you're servicing even more customers than than ever before. That's that's quite an undertaking, but a one that you feel is is paying dividends as well. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think you know, Nurburgring in particular is really important from a GT3 perspective. It's obviously a critical race um, from the brand, but it's mm. also uh, a track where you can really develop the car. So um, some of the things that will be on the Nurburgring car this year will be on the new GT3 for 2016. Um, and you're right when you talk about GT4. I think, being honest, I think GT4 is probably going to be the new GT3. Um, you know, just back from the media day from the British GT Championship this year, and you know we've got 13 cars in that championship this year, and there's more GT4s than there is GT3s for the first time. Um, is that simply a cost thing, John, for for people coming through their careers, or is it because? Or do you think it's because it provides that essential stepping stone into GT racing? I think both, actually. I think, you know, for sure GT3 has um, got quite prohibitive in terms of cost now. So GT4 is, um, you you can enter it earlier. Um, But just the general move from people from single-seaters into sports cars um, has brought a lot of the younger generation um, looking to get into GTs. And GT4 is a way to do that. Um, new premises for Pro Drive now, of which Aston Martin Racing sits under that roof, literally as as well as metaphorically. How's the move going, and and when's it all live and working? Well, apart from not being at Nurburgring today, um, where we've got Darren and Stefan and VLN One, um, the other option was to be at the factory, and it's the last day of the clear out from the old factory, so Rick, Rickard was probably a better place to be. But yeah, literally today is the emptying of the old building. Um, and we go to some temporary accommodation for two weeks. In fact, the GT cars go straight back to Silverstone. Uh, they go from here to Silverstone. They'll stay to the there track? To the track. Wow. Um, and they'll stay there until the race in three weeks' time. Um, and the new building is... Well, I think they're busy. <laughs> <laughs> How's your office? Is your office magnificent and, and huge and corner-like and at the top of the building? The sun shines in it, and that's important. <laughs> that is important. Um, but it's, you know, it's going to be fantastic. It's a purpose-built building, over 100,000 square feet. Um, the motorsport facility is half of that. Um, there'll be 20 car bays side by side. Um, and it will be, it's, you know, it's purpose-built and it's purpose-laid out. So it'll be terrific for the team to go back there after Silverstone. And it is, it is all on track. As usual, there's, the contractors are busy finishing it off. But, um, yeah, we're all looking forward to it. How do you manage to balance the customer side of things which includes obviously being able to supply customers all around the world with parts and technical support your gt3 exploits as a works team in things like nurburgring and then coming to the fia wec both you personally and the team that's a, that sounds like a very big spreadsheet yeah surround yourself with good people um, recruit good people. That's the you know I've always believed the best way to develop a business is to develop the people, both from within and bringing new people into the organisation. So, um, yeah, I mean, we've definitely um, got some good teams from a customer perspective as well, and that helps a lot. So if you've got teams that know what they're doing, um, they want to help you develop the cars, um, but they ask you the right questions um, and they engage with you on the right things. And I think we've got that now. Um, so most of our teams run in two or three cars um, but you know, the most important thing is the people who support them and recruiting the right people and, and coaching the right people is, has been key to that I'm not sure there's any other manufacturer who is 
as well represented across the GT categories as Aston Martin, all the way down from world championship level to you know, national and club level racing with, with GT4s. We're coming into a time that is crucial for the development of GT racing. The original convergence talks have broken down. Where does, where does our sport need to be going in terms of GT4-3, GTE, and where do you think it will actually end up if those two things are different? Um, look, I mean, I think GTE for sure is um, top-level manufacturer racing, and I think it probably always will be. Um, you know, GT3 is is a, basically a pro-am championship, always has been, um, and maybe that's what the future is for GT3. Um, maybe GT, you know, GTE stays as manufacturer, and mm-hmm. GT3 um, becomes the customer side of the business. Um, it's certainly more cost-effective than GTE, so that would make sense. Um, and I definitely am a big supporter in the growth of GT4, and yeah. I think GT4 for sure will, at national level, probably overtake GT3 in the future. So, I guess you know, if I was to guess what the future looks like, it probably looks like um, international level GTE as manufacturers, GT3 as the customer, and national level be GT4. Do you think we'll ever? The question I always get asked, and I'm never entirely sure how to answer it. As it stands at the moment with GT3 and the regulations or the balance of performance style of regulation of GT3, is there a place for that type of car at Le Mans or is that opening up a, a Pandora's box that we couldn't close again? You know, I think anything that keeps costs under control um, for the entrance, um, which has always got to be on a commercial basis, I think is important so you don't rule anything out for sure. Um, and the reality is um, what's important in a balanced performance formula is that the mathematics add up um, and that people can control um, people can understand the manufacturers can understand and the regulators can um, control the performance um, so um, you know I I don't think anyone is better than the other. Um, anyone can be faster than the other, just depending on what you choose to balance the car to. Do you not worry that if we went to a GT3 at Le Mans that somebody would just throw a heap of money at it? OK, you're still going to be BOP'd down, but effectively, in terms of your technical passport, that doesn't really exist for Formula th- for uh, GT3. It's basically run what you brung and we'll balance it afterwards. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I was saying. You know, yeah. So it's important... When you've got manufacturers involved, the manufacturers can understand the process and the technical people can control the process. And I think that's why GTE works, um, because um, that is the most tightly controlled technical regulations. Um, and I think that's where the manufacturers will put their focus, because they can see that. Um, but, you know, I think it's improved in all areas. You know, you would say that the balance of the cars across all the championships works well now and that's important it's important that customers know that they can be competitive and it's important that manufacturers know they can be competitive and no one really wants a competitive edge from an unfair perspective on the track and what everyone wants to know is they can win when they start um, and then it's down to the team and the drivers and the strategy to who wins. Um, but, you know, fairness is really important. And for sure, that's got better over the last few years. Let's bring you back finally to the FIA World Endurance Championship. That's what we're practising for here at Paul Regard. We start off at Silverstone, a couple of three weeks' time. That is very much your home race, but it's also the start of a long and competitive championship, which you clearly have designs on. Yeah, for sure. The, um, the, unfortunately, it probably starts at one of our um, races where the cars aren't at their best, unless it's wet. And <laughs> basically, the There's hist- every opportunity for that, John, <laughs> let's be honest. There is, but I mean, the history for um, Aston's in the World Championship um, recently says that the hotter the track is, the better we go, um, or the wetter it is, the better we go. So what we don't really want is a cold, dry day, <laughs> which is probably what we've had in the last few years at Silverstone. Um, so, you know, there's not a single point you can drop in this championship. Um, there's many changes across the season. Every single point counts right from qualifying. So um, I'm absolutely sure that everyone will be going flat out from day one. We certainly will be. Um, and we'll be looking for both points in qualifying on the Saturday and maximum points on the Sunday. Um, and, you know, we'll see what the conditions throw at us. But... Um, I'm encouraged by what I've seen so far this year and certainly um, with three points um, 
and really good drivers, we've got a chance to really take it to the competition this year. And some new colour schemes for us to get used to and the fans to get used to as well. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, when I saw them first of all in the workshop, I wasn't all that happy with them, but seeing them on track, actually, I think they look terrific, and particularly the overalls of the guys, I think, look good. And um, at Silverstone, all three pro cars will be three different liveries. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. So I think that will be quite quite easy to pick out, and um, a couple of them will definitely pop on TV. Um, so, um, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing them. John, thank you very much for your time. If I may, I'm going to nip back up into the control box there and see if I can grab Marco. Very good. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Right. Thanks to John Gott, the uh, Managing Director of Aston Martin Racing. And Graham Goodwin's going to grab a quick word for dailysportscar.com. Let's just have a, a whip back in here and see as Fernando... Right, Mark was disappeared, of course, but Alex McDowell is standing at the back here, so I'll grab a word with him. And welcome to a very windy Paul Ricard. Why, this is uh, conditions that uh, more suited to Snetterton on a winter's afternoon, other than the sunshine, in fairness. Yeah, it's a bit interesting out there having a, a wobbly car down the straight, so it's something um, a bit unique to hear, I think, being up in the, in the hills and close to the sea, so... Um, yeah, no, it's good fun, but we've got through a lot of work so far, so we're just going through some final adjustments for this afternoon. We hear Formula drivers talking about wind a lot, but this is excessive out there to blow a 1,200-kilo car around, and I suspect you're feeling that quite, quite a lot out on the, on the Mistral on the back straight. Yeah, especially on the, on the back straight, we're having to stay all the way over to the right and try and hug the, the wall oh, really? um, just to stop the effects of the wind, and then as soon as you're... you're you go back to the left to get the apex for the, the quick right turn eight, the whole car is just oversteering and all wobbly, which isn't nice at that speed. So I think the LMP drivers will have, be having more of a handful, but you know it's okay for us. More what miles under the wheels all the time for you. I think I spoke to you at this time last year and you were looking forward to getting into the car, getting a season under your belt. Further chat with you recently at Monte Blanco and... You, know, you had a great season last year, Alex, and do you, do you feel now that you can attack this season in, in, a, in a different way than you perhaps would have approached last year? Yeah, I think with the driver lineup we've got as well, we've got a good chance of podiums every weekend, so we need to be looking at getting on that podium every race, so we've got to be you know, realistic and just try and, try and chip away at, at it. You know, home race to start off with is great, so... Hopefully we'll we'll get a good crowd, good British crowd, and we can, you know, challenge for the for the win. Uh, the factory's been redeveloped at the moment, so the cars actually go straight to Silverstone and are going to stay there until the race. That probably doesn't affect you that much as a uh, as a driver, but the the guys at least. But at least they'll all be set up and have the coffee machine ready to go by the time you get there for Silverstone. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a plus side, but it's. Yeah, they're obviously going for some new development at AMR and it's great to see that they're growing. And um, yeah, I think the brand just keeps getting stronger from ev every year. Now we've got five cars, it's free and pro. We've got a good chance of maybe a full Aston Martin podium, which would be, which would be good. Um, so yeah, it's, it's looking positive. And a new set of overalls for you this year and a different colour. Yeah, they look they look nice. We definitely stand out. So <laughs> yeah, you need to get them a bit dirty. Yeah. I love everybody at this start of the season. I said to the Porsche LMP guys, you know, go and roll around in the dirt a bit. They all look very bright. Yeah, but it's nice to get in the, a fresh suit. You kind of start the season fresh, new. Everything's, you know, nice and shiny. So it's it's um, it'll just be on the on the up from here, and we can hopefully, you know, do a do a good year. Talk about the start of the season. Obviously, everybody starts on zero points, so nothing that happened last year actually matters, mm. except for the fact that you personally have gained a hell of a lot of, of experience. Um, the, the whole mindset for you must just be a little bit different. Do you feel as though you'll be, you can attack a little bit more? Mm. That you, can you make a bit more uh, in terms of car setup? Are you being able to, to uh, make some... Um, suggestions there as well Alex yeah obviously now I've got a season under my belt I can tell the engineers what, what I like in the car it's, um, it's a bit different to what I came from so the techniques are all different which I learnt last year so ho hopefully this year I can just concentrate on trying to make the car go quicker rather than me so 
we're, we're looking a lot stronger and um, we've got, obviously got Fernando back who's, who's one of the quickest drivers out there and most experienced and then to have Richie on board it's mm. he's one of the quickest guys over one lap so it's it looks like it's a, a recipe for a, a very strong strong car keep enjoying it see you through the rest of the season that's Alex McDowell uh, stand there Stewie Hall who I haven't seen for an absolute right. age how are you doing mate? very well thank you well hang on a second we're not even at the first race and you've broken your earpieces already well, well I need some new ones these are from 2013 <laughs> too tight to buy new ones <laughs> yeah well um, welcome to Paul Ricard welcome to the start of a new season looking forward to it I can't wait it's going to be a really busy one uh, with ELMS and WEC so um, really looking forward to it uh, it's great to be back here in the Aston Missed you down at the test at uh, Monte Blanco. We had a bit of a ball uh, down there. How do you get yourself back into it? How do you prepare? And does this sort of thing help, or are we really just sort of brushing the dust off at this point? Oh no, for sure it helps. You know, we, um, you know, we're we're here. It's an important test. It's our only test before the first race. Um, so Francesco's got to get up to speed. Um, I've got to sharpen myself up because you know I haven't driven the car since October. And, um, you know, Roald's got to do plenty of laps and get himself on the, on the pace. So it's a very, very important two days. Um, got to look forward a little bit as well to Le Mans this year because the Aston Martin Festival is one of the support events there. And rumour has it that you might be driving several vehicles, one of which might have the letters LMP in front of a 1. Is that true? Yeah, and no, I'll be back in the old LMP1 car from 2009. Huge smile on Stuart's face at the moment. Yeah, no, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. It's probably the nicest standing racing car I've ever I've ever heard. One of the coolest cars I've ever driven, um, and obviously Rold owns it. So uh, Aston are very keen to get it in the festival uh, for this year, just to really put on a good show for the fans because I think it's a fan favourite. Oh yeah. So uh, I am happily obliged to, to to jump in the driver's seat. Fully two nanoseconds before you said yes when you were asked, was it? Oh no, it's um, <laughs> it's the nuts of a car. I can't wait to. We've got a test planned at Snetterton in later on in the year before, so that'll be the first time I drive it in five years, I think. Actually, do you know what? I need to find out when that is and come and talk to you about that and see how much your remembrances have, have changed about it. Can't wait for that. And I know the fans wanted me to ask you about that, so thank you for answering that. Um, I've got to whisper this a bit here, but you're doing a bit of Ferrari stuff as well, aren't you? Ferrari, come say that in here. It's a nasty bit. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, actually, I'm doing LMS in, uh, in a GT3 Ferrari. Mm. Um, we're there, of course. Mm. Um, which is a very good opportunity for myself. Uh, it doesn't conflict with WEC or anything like that. Um, Another very cool set of overalls, in fairness. Oh well, you know, you know, we, we do it for the overalls, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, it'll be um, it'll be very interesting for me. Obviously, Francesco has been in Ferraris for a long time, uh, so he's a great benchmark to have in that car. Um, and for me personally, from a career point perspective, it's good to it's good to to get that sort of experience and. Um, really grateful to Rold to, for allowing me to, to do it it can, it can really only benefit benefit him because hopefully the, sh- the more cars I drive the sharper I'm going to be and you know in the main programme in the Aston hopefully going to be even quicker How different is a GT3 car than from the, the GTE car I mean the, the obvious things are traction control and an ABS very highly developed ABS as I found out driv- driving the Aston GT3 at Monte Blanco um, so how quick or how long does it take you to, to jump in between them and get your head slightly reprogrammed? I mean, it's got four wheels. They've both got four wheels, so at the end of the day, you've just got to go out, and if someone asks me to race a lawnmower, I will. I love racing. But um, they're two completely different cars. The, you the know you're going to get people to ask you to race a lawnmower. <laughs> the Whisper Green 24 hours will be on the phone to you immediately. I'm around. <laughs> uh, but no, it's a, it's a completely different car, the Ferrari. Mm. Um, obviously engines behind me and that and the engine in the Aston is in front of me so you know it's taken me it took me a little time to get used to but um you know I think as a as a driver you've to be an all-rounded good driver you've got to be able to get in anything as we see this weekend with Marco here in the in the 95 car he's driving a GP2 car you know in the next couple of weeks now he's driving a GTE so I think a car's a car and uh the the more you drive the sharper you get and the better you become in some ways, does it help you that the Ferrari is so different in terms of its philosophy and where the engine is than if you were jumping between an Aston GTE and an Aston GT3? Um, At least in terms of, right, I'm sitting in something 
it looks different, it feels different. Yeah, it's, it is different. Um, yeah. The proof in the pudding is going to be at Silverstone when I'm doing one race on Saturday and one race on Sunday. That's just greedy, you know that, <laughs> don't you? So it'll be a very, very busy weekend. But um, I sense you're looking forward to that challenge, though, Stuart, looking, just looking at you there, the way you're sort of thinking about that. I mean, you know, as a, as a, as a racing driver, you want to race. And mm. I've definitely had some tough times where I haven't had anything during the year and seen everybody else dry, out driving. So um, I'm going to grab the opportunity with both hands. Uh, as, as we know, it's a, it's a difficult game. And to, to hold down drives is, is, is very tough, especially if you're not twined in with, you know, into sort of a, a Porsche manufacturer program or mm. an Audi or mm-hmm. some Toyota or something like that. So, um, you know, I'm going to grab it with both hands because you don't know how long... You know you've got you've you've got it for as long as tr- try and do a good job and see what happens. Time for a game of cricket later on the season. Do you think if we can get one organised? Well, I was kind of hoping I'd get called up to the England squad after the last performance. Well, frankly, you could have done better, mate. I've seen you ball and bat. Uh, absolutely. Uh, thank you. Good luck for the season, and I'm sure we'll speak to you again here on RadioLamont.com. Cheers, Andy. Cheers. Mate. Well, I've come down to the KCMG pit. The car has just been pushed in and climbing out. Another one, uh, Nick Tandy. There he is, disappeared, disappeared behind me. Um, second different set of overalls I've seen you in already this weekend. Obviously, your Porsche works drive and KCMG here uh, down at the pit out end of pit lane. How's the uh, how's the new LMP2 car going? It's okay. Um... For a first go, it's not bad. The only, the biggest problem we got is that Porsche's up completely one end of the pit, and and we're completely down the other end of the pit here. So uh, I'm presuming you have a man to take you backwards and forwards down. You're a works driver. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, but it's um, yeah, it's pretty good. It was the first time I ran the car this afternoon. Um, there's, I mean, it's a new car, so there's there's small issues that we need to work around. Things like driver positioning. It's the first time both me and Nico are in the car today. Um, things like uh, like the cooling vents and stuff, where it's just just small things that um, you know. Why there's a reason where you go testing before a before a race weekend to iron these things out. So yeah, we're just checking boxes and clicking buttons at the moment. So difficult to get any real sensible work done if that's the environment. But quite clearly, you're getting a feel for the machine and. That's invaluable, just some miles under the wheels. Yeah, it is, um, and it's it's mileage. Mileage means a, a lot when you're fresh in any sort of race car. Um, the way it handles, the way you operate its controls, the the seating position, so therefore the, the muscles that you use, which are completely different in every single car you jump in, whether it's GT to GT or, or LMP to GT or whatever. So it's, um, it's always good to get laps. It's a bit difficult today, honestly, because it's so windy and... And blustery. I'm sure a lot of guys are saying it, but honestly, it does affect us a lot. And there's there's not much you can learn back to back in back to back runs because the wind can change. If it changes 10 mile an hour, which isn't so much today, <laughs> it could um, you know it could it could affect things a lot. So you it's just it's just um, getting systems checks basically today. Can you imagine what it's like barreling into the corner at the end of the Mistral straight to scene um, with a gust of wind suddenly up your metaphorical backside pushing you on maybe 10, 15, 20 mile an hour quicker than you thought you were going yeah honestly it's a bit unnerving <laughs> and um, wide eyed like, is Nick Tandy yeah, at the moment yeah in qualifying then you push it yeah, yeah. but today you just back off a little and say okay we'll, we'll save that for later we'll save that for quality at Silverstone tell me a little bit about how this season's going to work for you then you You've obviously been on our radar for quite a while with your exploiting uh, various GT, Porsche, etc. But how's this whole prototype thing going to work with KCMG and with the work squad this year? Uh, I mean, it's pretty simple. It's from, you know, now it's fully focused on LMP2 KCMG. um, And it will be until the end of the race at Silverstone. After that, then it's fully focused on the LMP1 projects until after Le Mans. Right. And then, and then it you know it switches back again. So it's it's quite clearly separated. Um, but it, yeah, it kind of has no to be, doesn't it? Yeah, of course it has to be. Um, but it's it, you know it's because it's clearly separated. It's it's quite clear what we're doing. It's quite clear what car you're going to be driving. And um, 
is that important for you in your mind as well to be able to draw those lines and have those barriers? Uh, not really. You don't care, do you? So long as you're behind the wheel, as long as you have five laps of practice before you go out and do something meaningful, <laughs> you know, to get back into the swing of things, it's um, you know, it's it's not really a, it's not really a problem. It showed that when we jumped, you know, there was a load of us that jumped in the LMP car after years of driving GT stuff, and um, you know, I think it took a lot of the team by shock that, that you know. We, we can all get on the pace pretty quickly in a, in a different type of car. We're racing drivers, and you know if you can feel the limit of a race car and a race tyre, yes, there's different ways about going about getting that speed, but it's, um, it all translates. A lot of people saying that it's quite a bold move by Porsche, and don't forget, I haven't forgotten KCMG, I'll come back to that in a minute, but as soon as you mentioned it, um, to, for Porsche to take three effectively GT drivers and stick them in a one car at the world's most important greatest motor race noisy lot your team um, other people notably people like Darren Cox from Nissan has said he thinks it's absolutely the right thing to do doesn't see it as a brave or a bold move at all just a sensible way of, of maximising Porsche's investments in some of their drivers for sure you've got to look at it as you know from a driver's point of view as singly at the moment there's guys that are going to be part of the part of the team or part of the operation for you know four or five months and, and two races so they've got to have, really got to have something else going on. So, um, you know, it makes sense that way to, to stay within the family. And obviously there's, you know, there's technology that you learn and that can be transferred without. Um, but, I mean, really, you know, if there was somebody better than the guys that tested, that came out of the GT program, we wouldn't be in the seats. It's... They're after the best drivers, of course, and like the same as the Manti team or the core team, the, the Porsche team in America. They're after the best guys for that particular series, for that particular car. So we, I mean, you, you always think in yourself that uh, you can do the job, and you, I mean, only, personally, I always think I could do the job in in any sort of car. So I told that to, to Porsche, and um, thankfully they gave me a go in it in the end. How does it feel to have that validation, though? Having said what you've just said, and I completely agree that many drivers I've, I've spoken to would say that, and many of them I would agree with. So, I mean, is it sort of, ha, yes, sort of just brushing the nails on the chest there? But it is a validation, Nick. It is, a, it is absolutely a validation of your skills and the skills of the other GT drivers as well. Yeah, that's right. It shows that it is a, I mean, the validation was done when I, when I signed with Porsche. That's um, you know that was the that was the career ticket done done and dusted happy for life you know mm-hmm. my career stopped then I would have been happy for life after that um, you know to to then be considered for everything that Porsche does mm-hmm. is um, it shows that they respect your input into the whole team as a, as a as a complete driver and a person input um, yeah it's 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 pleasing. But at the same time, you know, if I was to, to have signed the, the, the contract with the GT team again last year, you know, that's it's as, it's as good as for me. It's great to be able to go to Le Mans, don't get me wrong, you know, in a top-class car. It's, a, it's the biggest race in the world, and that's exactly what everybody wants to do. They want to race the fastest cars you can um, in the biggest races that you can. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that I got here in the first place. That's my most proud aspects of it. As you, as you should be. I was talking to someone the other day about works drivers, and they quite seriously said to me, everybody wants to be a Formula 1 driver when they start. Most people want to be a Formula 1 driver when they start. If you're, a, if you're a works driver for any manufacturer team, you are at the level of a Formula 1 driver because that's the kind of dedication that it takes. And in some cases... You're probably better in talent than some people who get to Formula One. It's not always about the talent, of course, which I thought was very interesting to see. Now, I need to get you in a, uh, an LMGTE AM car with me because then you would have done all four classes this year and you've, you've got the Grand Slam. LMP1, LMP2, GTE Pro, you only need to be in an AM car and, and that's, that's all boxes ticked, isn't it? Yeah, you're absolutely right, actually. <laughs> That, no, that's a, if you can just make a, a case to Porsche to put a fat old 52 in the car, 
then me and you can have a drive, and then you've done all four. I'm sure there's some teams that run Porsches that would be interested in it. <laughs> what there if, might be some negotiation needed to, to get there, of course. If I could bring you along. <laughs> Listen, no, no, I've got me one factory driver. It's all right. Thanks very much. I mean, that's quite a thing, though. You, you sort of thought there and then thought, bloody hell, I, you know, I haven't quite thought of that. But this is, a, this is a big season of driving for you in terms of just how many different cars and how many races you're going to be running. You're right. I, I didn't really think about it like that. I, you look at it and you say, okay, I'm, I'm doing almost a full season in both of the biggest um, sports car series in the world, you know, across the globe, probably, that's, you know, that's ever been, um, which is great. And to be able to do it primarily in America in a factory team with Porsche, um, then over here in, a, in an extremely good P2 team in KCMG with a great car. Um, and then, of course, the, the other two... The big one um, in the 919 hybrids. It's yeah. I mean, it's like a. It's a dream come true season. Really. Come on, tell me. Ever since you were a small boy, you wanted to race at Le Mans for Porsche. Honestly, when I was a small boy, all I wanted to do was go and race uh, around Talladega with Bill Elliott and Dale Earnhardt. But um, uh, and I haven't truly grown out of that yet. That's, uh, I'll save that for a bit later on in my career, I think. But, You've uh, just made a lot of our American listeners very, very happy. <laughs> All have just fallen off I their collective chairs. I love a good chairs. stock car race. I love a good stock car race. A lot but, more in that than it looks as well, to be fair, if you've ever driven one. I've never driven one, but I haven't missed a cup race for about 12 years now. Um, I'm a huge... You get football fans and yeah, yeah. darts fans and whatever. I'm, I'm like a proper Billy NASCAR fan. Really? So who do you root for as the Americans would say? Honestly, I've got huge respect of what Jimmy Johnson does. Oh, yeah. You know, the way he works with Chad and Hendrick, oh, yeah. um, what they've done, obviously. Chad Kenosi's a, a crew chief, for those who don't know. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, you know, what they do with those cars, because they're so spec, it's just unbelievable. And the way they go about it's the whole intrigue and how they go about a race situation and the strategy, the stops, and how you work on the car and make it better. And um, yeah. In some ways, it's quite a pure form of motor racing, isn't it? Because you start off... And how many times have we seen this, particularly with the, the dynamic duo that you've just mentioned there, that... Jimmy Johnson hasn't qualified too well. He's somewhere in the bottom of the top 20. He drops into the 30, stays out the way. And then it's the last 20, 30, 40 laps, the last 50 miles of the race. After the last green flag pit stop, the car's come good. And all of a sudden, he's there or thereabouts. And that's improving the car all the way through with quite limited tools at their disposal. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's unbelievable how they go about it. It's an it. endurance race as well, of course. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's often taking two and a half, three hours. I know because the, the missus tells me when I'm watching it <laughs> late at night and she wants to go to bed. But uh, it's like when they pick which lane they're going to run in. You know, whether you're going to stick to the middle, you're going to go around the wall, or and then you set the car up based around that. It's, I, mean, I love my motorsport and I love the technical aspects of it. That's why the, the 919 is quite interesting. It's very interesting because there's so many things that you can play with. And, um, you know, the dri- driving the cars is great. But there's so much more about what, what I enjoy from the sports outside of, of driving. Mm. Honestly, I found a little while back the only thing I enjoy, or the thing I enjoy most is the winning aspects. I don't, if you're driving around in a great car but you come last, it's rubbish. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I nip off and watch a cup race. <laughs> <laughs> the technical aspect of it is, um, yeah, I, I love all that sort Let's of stuff. Let's drag you back to KCMG. Let's drag you back to KCMG as that's where we're standing now. Although I feel that the, the cup discussion may well be revisited at some stages through the season. And in fairness, um, we might be able to make something happen uh, with that as well because I can feel a feature. Anybody needs a road course ringer, I'm up for it. Oh, you don't want to race on a road course. You want to race on a Norval. I did, I did Las Vegas in a cup car just for about five or six laps. And let me tell you, it was the most remarkable 15, 20 minutes of my life. Um, Let's get you back to KCMG. That's where we are at the moment. Uh, you, you mentioned the great teams that you work for, Core and Porsche in North America, the factory team here. P2 is a very, very competitive place to be right now in the World Endurance Championship. So let's make no bones about it. Although KCMG might not trip off the tongue or be quite as well known to our listeners as the other teams I've mentioned, this is a full pro team doing a full pro job. It was the number one team that, when we looked at it, looked at the potential of um, coming over, trying to do some P2 racing this year. It was the number one team that we thought about. Um, they're, they're an exceptionally good team. There's a very good pair of drivers that have come over from last year as well. Um, they've got a new car in the Oracle 05, 
um, you know, it's a, it's a good package. And like you say, it's 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 a hugely competitive class, especially this year. Um, you know, there's a lot of good teams. People like ESM coming over from the states, which is which is different to last year. So it was it was very important that if I was gonna if I was gonna attempt to do this 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 program, that it would be um, worthwhile doing. And everything that I've seen so far here today, and everything that's been before, has um, you know it justifies that. I know that the listeners will want me to ask this. I kind of think I know what the answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask anyway. Any of the skills that you're using here in the P2 car transferable to the 919 hybrid or vice versa? We've seen guys, Felipe Albuquerque, of course, jumps to mind, Mark Janier for Jota last year, jumping back into Audis at various times through the season. Is it the actual skills or just being in a car racing that is transferable between the two? There's certain different aspects of driving a, a heavily aero-influenced car to a, um, you know, a production-based car. Although the, you know, especially the GT, GTLM cars that we race have got, you know, they are hugely downforce-producing and they, you know, they are proper race cars. They don't produce the same sort of um, grip that a P2 or P1 car does. And there is a certain driving style that goes around making the most out of that, above, say, 200Ks or, mm. you know, fourth gear sort of cornering. But um, that I, I learned back in Formula 3 years ago, how to optimise that. And um, I'm sure it's the same for a lot of guys that, that have done Formula racing and come into sports cars. Um, and honestly, the, the, the rest of it, the, the slower speed stuff, the medium speed stuff, it's... It's just like how to get lap time out of any car. I mean, I drive our JTR's Formula 4 cars, our Formula 4 Ford three-time championship winning cars, might I add, at, um, um, the, the team that I run back home and, you know, cup cars and, and all sorts of different stuff. And, and uh, the way That's to... Carrera Cup, by the way, not Sprint Cup. Sorry, yeah, Carrera <laughs> Cup, of course. <laughs> And you get lap time out of it the same way. You've got to yeah. use the tyre and, and use the tyre in the, the ultimate way to get time. So it's any sort of racing means you get more experience. Um, the thing about this, the P2 car, is the aero stuff, but also it's the traffic thing. Yeah. It's the traffic management, and um, that was one thing that we wanted to to do to help the, the 919, the LMP1 programme, um, Obviously, in GT, you're part of the field. You deal with it. You yeah. deal with how to let cars pass and then fight with your own classes. Uh, what I've never done before is is been um, you know in a position where we've got to pass a lot of cars. I'm sure it's it's not too different, and it's all part of the game. Yeah. But it's just practicing experience. Any experience makes you better. All right. As long as it's good experience. Nick, I'll let you get on. Um, definitely going to revisit the the cup thing later on this season that brings a big smile from Nick Tandy who's been talking to us here on RadioLamont.com Nick thanks very much indeed thanks for having me well that's just about it for our first programme from here at the World Endurance Championship Test the FIA World Endurance Championship tested Paul Ricard. I've come down towards Pit Out, and Graham Goodwin and I are taking the opportunity to sit on the the podium here. It may be the only time I ever get a chance to do that. And actually, we're a little bit more out of the wind here than we have been in other places in the paddock. Through goes the ESM as we're coming through to the end of the daytime running here. At least, Graham, in a, in a day that has seen much promise, the scream of the Ferrari, the burble of the Aston Martin, clearly distinct against the other engine noises. That's a Porsche 911 going through. And what today showed me, if nothing else, is that the variety that we've come to expect in the World Endurance Championship and indeed in sports car racing generally is alive and well. That's the G-Drive prototype going through the 26 car and notwithstanding the other issues that are on the other talking points that are on at the moment about going forward there's a fair degree of, of optimism here in the paddock, in the pits and in, and in the garages here at this test 
Yeah, I think we worry about 2017 another day. Today, it's about the start of the 2015 season, and there is huge optimism. The grid looks better than it ever has, John. Much better than it ever has. P2 grid in particular looks absolutely fantastic. Huge variety. The cars look fantastic. They're going to be some real crowd pleasers here. But the, the crowds get to see the cars tomorrow here and at Silverstone in a couple of weeks' time. I think there's going to be some big, wide smiles. There's no doubt whatsoever this is a big step forward this year for the FI World Endurance Championship. Sports car racing, it's a very exciting time. Right here, right down. I can't wait to start talking about it again. And quite a number of people that we weren't expecting to see in the paddock that we'll try and grab hold and get a chat with tomorrow. Tomorrow you mentioned the public side of things. It's become a tradition since this prologue started that the Saturday is a public day. And if the numbers that of registrations that we are led to believe have been made on the, the website, and by the way, it's free, but you have to pre-register... We could be looking at eight, nine, ten thousand people here tomorrow. Well, when I spoke to Sharon uh, earlier this week, we already had eight thousand people pre-registered. Huge promotion and effective promotion in the local area in particular. But we know the number of people coming internationally to come and see this test. There's a huge kind of following for the WEC growing now. But uh, certainly north of ten thousand, I think we expect tomorrow. Let's hope the wind dies down a little bit at least. But that aside. Lovely temperature, the sun's shining, the skies are blue, the, the, the colours on the cars are popping, it looks just great. And a world, a world championship, Graham, that is absolutely worthy of that title, an FIA World Endurance Championship that is living up to its billing. Uh, huge quality in depth in every class. And that doesn't just mean the teams, it means the cars. And more and more and more, it means the drivers too. There's a you know, name beyond name beyond name. Uh, John, you know what? We're, we're going to need more than six hours of these races just to talk about the talking points before we even get to the detail. I love it. Graham Goodwin, editor of dailysportscar.com, who'll join me again for our coverage of the Saturday, the FIA World Endurance Championship prologue here at Paul Ricard. Uh, for the moment, on behalf of the team down here and uh, back in London, uh, I'll say goodbye and leave you with some glorious sounds of the variety that is the 2015 World Endurance Championship Paddock. program is a radio show limited production tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com